So tonight, holding the line on the biblical view of holy sexuality. I'm not just picking out homosexuality. I'm talking about holy sexuality, that God would have us to be holy in our sexual identity, in our sexual life. And homosexuality is one aspect, but it is getting pretty strong endorsement in the secular world today. As a matter of fact, um, I'm not exaggerating, but I don't know how much longer I could teach or preach on this subject without getting arrested. In, in Canada, I could not share this message, or I would be arrested. And so uh, it has become such a political and uh, cultural powerhouse uh, that we need to understand the situation we're facing when we're dealing with holy sexuality and what the Bible says. We're dealing with homosexuality. Let's define it. Basically, it is this, sexual activity with the same gender. So with female to female, we call that lesbianism. To male to male, we call that homosexuality. Uh, there are no other defining characteristics of a homosexual apart from their preferred choice of sexual relations with a person or persons of the same gender. It used to be people would make comments that someone who was gay or homosexual was this or that. They acted or behaved like this. There really is no other characteristic except for their desire for same-sex attraction. Now, homosexuality is at a tipping point. This is not just an issue in the United States. As a matter of fact, what you, I hope, are becoming aware of is that every movement that you're hearing in the United States is on a global scale. Whether it is environmental, whether it is uh, homosexuality, economic, everything is moving to a global state. And so we're seeing that this is not something we can simply just vote out or change. This is the change of a culture globally. And we're at a tipping point. There is more money and influencers in the realm of homosexuality than anywhere else, and especially in media, running and driving this, uh, I'll say, campaign. Homosexuality accepted around the world. I don't know if you can see some of these numbers. But in the United Kingdom, 86% of the population accepts homosexuality as an alternate lifestyle. In Canada, 85% of the population. In Argentina, 76% of the population. In the United States, 72% of the population uh, accepts it as an alternate lifestyle. Mexico, 69%. Japan, 68 South Africa, 54 South Korea, 44 India, 37 Kenya, 14 Some nations are resisting it. Russia, uh, uh, some of the uh, African nations are saying absolutely not. But what you can see is, again, that tipping point to where homosexuality is no longer considered something perverse or other but now it is mainstream. Let's look at the United States. Gauging the number of those who are homosexual, I'm saying I'm including both men and women in that term of homosexuality. Back in 2012, it was 
3% at best that we could determine 3% of the entire population was uh, claimed to be homosexual. Now it's hard for us to determine specifically homosexuality because they went from identifying as homosexual to LGBTQ+, which adds to the numbers, and that's the reason why now we're counting by the grouping and not just uh, homosexuals. So uh, as of 2022, uh, the population is up to 7.2% of our population of the United States uh, claims to be LG, uh, LGBTQ plus uh, in their affiliation, if you will. All right? And so that's, again, now lumped together with uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer, and plus. So uh, we're going to be counting by that group from now on. Now, how many of you know watching TV, watching movies, listening to media, you would think it was 50%. And it's in the mix of everything. Uh, and it's, it's really, really being pushed. Now, in 2001, 53% of the American culture said homosexuality is morally wrong. By 2020, it has decreased to 32% of the population says it's morally wrong. By 2022, it's 28% believe it's morally wrong. So we are standing on the side where we're outnumbered, okay? And it is acceptable in our culture, and so we become the haters. We become the ones who are calling homosexuality sin. In fact, that's typically one of the first questions they ask preachers and pastors on TV when they're interviewing them, do you think homosexuality is a sin? And for someone to say, yes, it is a sin, they become aghast, you know. But I mean, sex before marriage is a sin. Fornication is a sin. Lying is a sin. Uh, being jealous. These are, uh, uh, every, so many things that are sins. How many of you know that we have the remedy to that sin? We're not condemning someone to hell. We're saying there's help for that sin. And that sin is against God's way, but God cares so much to deliver us from sin. And so we can see that our nation is changing and with each generation, our children and the children that are being schooled and educated right now, by the time in the next five to ten years, uh, it'll be down uh, into like the below the 10 percent that believe it's morally wrong. What's left of the church? Many churches are also flipping on what scripture says uh, is right or wrong. Now, we're going to take a look at homosexuality based on the three things we did last week with abortion. Science, nature, and then the Bible. All right? I fully comprehend and understand that when you're dealing with the secular world, they are lost. They're not going to hold to a biblical standard. The church can't hold a secular culture to a biblical standard. We can influence them. And for the longest time, Christianity did influence. In fact, this nation was founded on Christian principles, and that's what made this nation such a powerhouse internationally, was its morality and its biblical base. But that has now a post-Christian era. The secular community is not going to listen. 
unless we can influence them with the truth. And God's word will not return void. So we have to have a voice to speak the word of God. Because many people want help. Many people are lost in these areas and in the realm of a homosexual lifestyle and they want deliverance. They want to be set free. So they need to know that there's a people who care for them and who will share the gospel. Let's start with the science. After so much research and so much money being put into it, scientists have found there is no gay gene. The idea that I was born gay, that there is a a genetic code that makes some people gay and not gay. Uh, In fact, 50% of the population believes that people are born gay. It's impossible. That doesn't happen. There is no genetic uh, formula for someone to be born gay. 30% believe it's nurture. Something happened in their life. Many people who are finding themselves had same-sex attraction when they were very young Of course they feel they were born that way. But it's when they start awakening sexually and being aware that they begin to see an attraction. But there's a good three, four years where something's developing in that nurturing that's making them choose that lifestyle, though they're unaware consciously of that choice. Nearly half a million genomes reveal five DNA markers associated with sexual behavior, none with the power to predict one's sexuality. So there's no genetic code for gayness. Homosexuality is the result of learned behavior and does not in any way follow the genetic patterns established by the Mendelian genetic science. That's genetic science. So we've come to that conclusion, though uh, some still say that they're born gay. Uh, Scientifically, That is not true. What about psychological science? Here are some possible factors. It could be a myriad of things. We have no idea what influences each individual life as to why they would move towards a homosexual lifestyle. But here are some of the possibilities and some of the top ranking uh, reasons that many who claim homosexual attraction say we're influenced by. Molested by someone of the same sex as a child. This is happening at greater levels. That's why homosexuality is actually increasing. When the level of our sexual perversion as a nation goes higher and higher, the level of molestation and offense to children increases. Um, Bullying labeled by peers early on as being gay, setting a path for them. Raised in a strongly pro-gay environment. Having inordinate cravings of sexual arousal. Pornography can lead you and the flesh has a drive to it. So you can start out heterosexual and have a drive into pornography which is going to lead you into deeper and deeper uh, drives for more enticing uh, sexual activity. Uh, Seduced into a homosexual encounter and... Many children are, let's say, um, sought out to be initiated into homosexual behavior. Having a broken or faint relationship with the same-sex parent. So the dynamic between your relationship with your mother or father may have a large impact. Having been isolated with members of the same sex over prolonged stages of time. These are possibilities. 
This doesn't mean that, that because this, that will form someone into a homosexual lifestyle. But these are some of the psychological components that are involved. Let me share with you some of the, the social sciences concerning homosexuality. Back in 1934, J.D. Unwin, Ph.D. Oxford and Cambridge, published an exhaustive study of 86 societies over a 5,000-year span. The book was called Sex and Culture. It studied the impact of monogamy or faithful, same uh, uh, binary, male-female relationship, free sexual expression, and rampant promiscuity. And what he determined through the social sciences is pretty interesting. This guy was not Christian. This isn't Christian-based. This is observational science over a 5,000-year period of 86 different societies and cultures. And guess what he found out? The most productive and strongest societies, number one, societies flourish when sexual constraint is encouraged. Sexual liberalization leads to a slow-motion societal collapse. Number three, premarital chastity is the most important issue in reducing national decline and creating a flourishing culture. That sounds biblical, doesn't it? So no sex before marriage is one of the healthiest things you can do for a culture and a society. Four, civilizations where men and women practice abstinence from sex until marriage and faithfulness in marriage thrive. Promiscuous cultures decline. Number five, total societal collapse takes place within three generations if everyone in the society embraces sexual liberaliz liberalization. We've only got a couple generations left here. Well, actually, it started in the 60s, didn't it? We're on our way to a very severe collapse of our culture because of the sexual promiscuity. Let's talk about nature. That's science. Science would show us that, that moving into the realm of this kind of liberal sexuality and homosexuality, and again, we're talking about holy sexuality, so no fornication, no adultery, uh, faithful marriages, enduring families are what is going to make a society last. And when we're talking about why uh, we are not in favor of homosexuality is because of its impact on a culture and on families. It was the gateway to where we are now. Just a number of years ago, having homosexuality as considered an alternate uh, sexual choice opened it further to then gay marriage. Once gay marriage got crossed, then the floodgates were opened and marriage is collapsing rapidly and now you've got the LGBTQ to where it has opened up our sexual reality to where now we're even eliminating the binary concept of men and women. It's gone that far and it's going to be going quicker and the only other things left that the Bible talks about are pedophilia and bestiality and those will not be far behind. What does nature say? Men and women were designed for sexual intimacy. Our bodies were created 
to become one flesh. Now, I'm not talking about God yet. We'll talk about God in a minute. But just by nature, we can understand that men and women were designed to become one flesh. Sodomy is anal sex, and that causes bodily harm. It used to be referred to as the crime against nature. It used to be crimes on the book against sodomy, sodomy laws. The reason being is because it is harmful to a culture and to people's health. Many health risks from anal cancer to hepatitis to herpes, HPV, uh, and other infections are impacting homosexuals. Gay men are three times more likely to use drugs or alcohol, and suicide and depression are in higher numbers than the heterosexual population. They're looking for something. They're broken. They're trying to find some kind of satisfaction. And so they believe that a homosexual lifestyle will bring the love that they want and that they crave. And many times it doesn't satisfy the suicidal and the, the broken depression and anxiety. And so many times in homosexual communities, relationships don't last. And the life expectancy of homosexuals is shortened than heterosexuals. You don't hear that, but that is the reality medically that is happening. Many would say, well, if you would accept homosexuality, the suicide rate would go down. It hasn't at all yet. And so that is an issue. The essential elements of binary male-female sexual relationship that nature has designed and that you see in the animal kingdom and in human kingdom is number one, for procreation. So that the species of mankind or humankind can continue to perpetuate and grow. Secondly, for the building block of any culture or society, families, where one mother, one father is the healthiest home to raise children in and rear them so that we have a healthy society and culture. This by nature is what works. And if we were going to talk about evolution as a possible theory for mankind, homosexuality would not last. Let's talk about scriptures now. We believe this is an authority. The creation order is binary. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. What do we need by binary? It's two parts. By binary. Male and female. The Bible says this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, the Imago Dei, the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the intentional design of humankind so that it mirrors the image of God and in fact mirrors the image of Christ and the church, ultimately, is that we were made male and female by God's design. Therefore, and this is why homosexuality is birthed in rebellion, because it rebels against the created order. And in order for us to accept it, we have to deny the created order of God and what he says. Genesis 5, 1b and verse 2. In that day God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female, and blessed them, and called them mankind, or humankind, in the day they were 
created. So this gives us a few things. Number one, they were created this way. They didn't evolve into this. This is a design, intelligent design by God himself. This design is what propagates human life. It continues human life. And human life is the image of God. This must be something holy and revered and highly respected. Sex is not just to, to uh, uh, have physical enjoyment. It has divine purpose. And to go outside of this then begins to denigrate the divine purpose of God. It's so important that God establishes it in the law of Israel. God's law. Why would God put in His law restrictions concerning same-sex attraction and homosexuality? Do you know why? Because it was going on. And it was rampant. And so God needed to put in His holy law with Israel so that they would not fall into it like the other nations. It's been around since the beginning of time. Sexual perversion. And what do I mean by perversion? Something that becomes crooked or goes askew is termed perverse or perversion. It changes. So it changes from the order of God. And he said this in Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, this doesn't use the word homosexuality. We'll get into that word in a little bit. That word wasn't even invented by this time. It's a modern concept, the word homosexual. And so it's a word picture here. Everybody in the Old Testament figured what this meant. They know that what it means to lie with a male as you lie with a female means sex. And so he's saying, you shall not lie with a male as a woman it is what? I'm an abomination. That's a very, very strong word. All right? Now, there are things in the Old Testament law that have passed away. And you'll hear this criticism all the time of people who do not understand the Bible. Oh, you think homosexuality is a sin. Well, did you know even in the law of Leviticus that you're quoting to me that you can't even mix or match two different kinds of fabric? You're not supposed to mix wool and flax and, and have those two fabrics. You're not supposed to plant two different seeds in the same field. You're not supposed to have sex during a menstrual cycle. So why do you excuse all those things but not homosexuality? Because those other things are not on the level of the created order that this is speaking against. And the, the Levitical law was fulfilled by Christ in what He accomplished. This supersedes the Levitical law. Those other issues, if they were offended, were only needing to be wa have ceremonial of washing. They were unclean for the day. But this, look at the, how, what this abomination means. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So in God's eye, this is something that must be stopped. Why death? So that it will put the fear into people so that it will not infect the culture of Israel. Why? It is damaging to the health and well-being of that culture. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, 
how can I say this? I'm not trying to hurt or wound someone who is gay or homosexual, someone who's struggling with it. I'm just speaking what is true, again, on a social science level and on a biblical level of how God designed life to be. If you don't want to follow God's design in life, you'll find your life being cut short because there's a way to live life. All right, let's go on. The scripture forbids seven different kinds of sexual relationships. So again, I'm talking about holy sexuality, not just forming against homosexuality, okay? We've got to get this right, church, because if the church is going to speak the truth about homosexuality, it better speak the truth about uh, heterosexual sin. We've got to speak about the, the problem with pornography in the church. We've got to speak about fornication in this church. We've got to speak about adultery in the church. There is an order to holy sexuality. And so there are seven forbidden sexual relationships. You should not have sex with your parents. You should not have sex with your children. You should not have sex with your siblings. You should not have sex with another's spouse. You should not have sex with someone of the same gender or sex. You should not have sex with a dead person. And you should not have sex with animals. Why? Sex is sacred. It is holy. God designed it for the marital bed. The marital bed is essential for any culture, any society, and to remain pure with God. All right? And so holy sexuality is essential. In fact... If it's not followed, he decreed judgment against it. It slaps God in the face to his design, anything that perverts his design. And so there's judgment. We saw that what happened to a culture of people who became uh, intrinsically perverse in homosexual lifestyle, known as Sodom and Gomorrah, it had gotten so bad and corrupt that God destroyed that, those two cities. Now, the, it says uh, there's an argument from the homosexual side that says, hey, the real sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they were, in hispo- they were not hospitable. That was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, how is it that they weren't hospitable? They wanted to have sex with the angels. That's not being very hospitable. And they get it from this portion of Scripture from Ezekiel. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. That sounds like the United States, if you ask me. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty. See, Those are the real reasons God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of those attributes. But wait, wait, wait. Go on and finish the rest. And did detestable things before the Lord. There's that abominable, detestable. There is something that they did that was so beyond the realm of being inhospitable. And that was their sexual relations. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. In fact, 
In the New Testament, Jude back, backs this up and says, Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah is an example for us of the punishment of eternal fire. The people of these cities suffered the same fate that God's people and the angels did because they committed sexual sins and engaged in homosexual activities. Jude puts it pretty clearly as to what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is. Why am I saying this? Is God going to kill every homosexual? No, God wants to deliver people from their sins. He wants to help. He wants them to find freedom. It, it, it is no different than someone addicted to pornography, addicted to adultery, addicted to uh, uh, um, uh, heterosexual over-sexualization. These are damaging to families and relationships and to God's purpose and order. Remember, the marriage, which is what sex is uh, held within, is the mere image of Christ in the church. It's a prophetic image. God can't have, uh, how many of you remember Moses couldn't go into the promised land? Because he didn't prophetically fulfill what God said. At first he said, speak to the rock. No, he said, strike the rock. He struck the rock. Then the second time he told Moses to speak to the rock, but Moses struck the rock. Moses broke the prophetic significance of what he was supposed to do. The striking of the rock was the crucifixion. Speaking of the rock was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost. But he violated that prophetic purpose so even Moses couldn't go into the promised land. Sex is a prophetic purpose that the two shall become one and it prophetically declares Christ in the church. It is sacred and holy. So anything else that perverts that is violating its prophetic significance and its holy purpose. Amen? Now, Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among Christians. All. This is a creation ordinance. That's why the issue in Leviticus concerning homosexuality being an abomination is a creation ordinance. And he says, it should be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. So how can you defile a marriage bed? By doing things that Leviticus tells us are sinful. So in the marriage bed, there should be no sodomy. In the marriage bed, there should be no things that are outside of what God has said is holy. No adultery in the marriage bed. No fornication in the marriage bed. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So everything we say about homosexuality, we say as well equally to the adulterer. Church? Amen? Because the church has a problem with calling that out, but not calling out the other. And so we have to have holy sexuality. What about Jesus? When did Jesus ever preach? Jesus never preached against homosexuality. You never see Jesus talk about homosexuality. Why not? Well, he's a Jewish rabbi. A Jewish rabbi who upheld the law to perfection. He didn't need to speak of homosexuality in purpose. He spoke in Matthew 19 and he taught that marriage is about one man and one woman. And have you not read that God created Adam and Eve? Jesus backs up the creation story. And if Jesus backs up the creation story, he's backing up the true design of one man, one woman in marriage. 
And that's what he teaches here. So that is in fact a teaching on or against homosexuality because he upholds the law and would uphold Leviticus as well. And so that's what the Jewish rabbi would preach. Let's go to the New Testament. All right? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people. Who does that cover? Basic all of us, all of us before we got saved. Okay? This, I mean, that includes every sexual immoral, immoral act that there is. All right? So, no sexually immoral people. Idolaters, those who worship images. Adulterers, there we are back at a sexual issue again, aren't we? Or males who have sex with males will inherit God's kingdom. Now, in some of your translations it says homosexuals there. All right? And that word is not from the original Greek. The concept of homosexual introduced into the English Bible was introduced in 1948. Before that, the term was sodomite. The translators are trying to come up with a word for what Paul invented here. Paul came up with a word, a compound word in the Greek, arseno koitus. What does that mean? Arseno means man, Coitus means bed. Men who bed with other men. Sounds just like Leviticus 18, doesn't it? You shall not lie with a woman, I mean a man, as you do with a woman. That's, and so the homosexual community is saying, see, they perverted the Bible in 1946, adding this made-up word homosexual to make Christians be against homosexuals. This has nothing to do with homosexuals. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's a word picture, isn't it? Males who have sex with males or males who bed with other men. We know what bed means. We're not talking about, you know, going camping and sharing a sleeping bag. We're talking about sex. Now, Romans 1, 26 to 28. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Natural relations as designed by God, man and woman, united sexually to become one flesh in marriage. That's God's creation. We're to uphold that, church. He says, again, I don't know how many churches are going the way of pro-homosexuality and pride. The Methodist church is falling apart right now. It's got a huge split because they've decided to ordain homosexuals. And, and this is a problem because they say, this is, you're misinterpreting the scripture. I'm... I'm doing my best here to, to make this really simple. When a woman exchanges natural relations, which is contrary to nature, she's sleeping with another woman. 
And a man, likewise, giving natural relations with women, consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts. Paul, again, we're going back to the abomination. Shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them to a reprobate or debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is very plain to understand God's view on homosexuality. All right? Now, again, homosexuality is used in our modern translations. It was not used in the original Greek and Hebrew. Let's look at, uh, but the terms bedding or sleeping with the same sex was. Not that far of a leap. 1 Timothy 1, 8-10, but we know that the law is good provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral. Again, stop there. Sexually immoral. We can list all the sexual issues, and males who have sex with males. Okay, it's not the word homosexual. But it is homosexuality. For slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. What is the sound teaching of the Bible? Holy sexuality, sex is made for the marriage bed, It is to be reserved for marriage. Sex before marriage is fornication. Sex with another married person is adultery. Sex with the same sex person is homosexuality. And all of these are enough sin. Homosexual wasn't used in any translation of the Bible until 1946. And the head of the translation committee that first added it eventually admitted that they had wrongfully done so. Why? Because they put a label on something that was an action. Homosexuals are trying to say, and you'll see this all over the internet, your Bible's translations are wrong, they're skewed, that word was never even put there, it was put there against homosexuals to get the church to hate them, and it's wrong, you should be embracing them. No, it's a word that they put together to... uh, identify what Paul meant by saying men who sleep with men. And Paul's original Greek referenced back to Leviticus 18. Now, homosexuality in the Bible is an act. In our culture, homosexuality is an identity. That's the difference. So, It's not just the act of homosexuality, it's they become identified as homosexuals. And the Bible doesn't speak that kind of language. It literally talks about the act. If you sleep in bed with another man, if you have sex, if women change their natural affections to other women, they're not going to identify them as homosexuals. They're identifying the act, and the act is sinful. What's the solution? Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 all the sins. We read them earlier, right? 
And he concludes with this. This is the best thing in the world. Here's the solution for homosexual or any sexual sin. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But what happened? They came to the cross. They found the remedy to their sin. And they were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. There is no sin that God cannot forgive and will not forgive. He can cleanse you. He can save you. He can change your mind. He can change your actions. He can wash that away and bring you a sound mind and make you a new creation. Whether it was adultery, whether it was fornication, whether it's homosexuality, maybe it's lesbianism, maybe it's transgenderism, no matter what the sin is, maybe if it's addiction, addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol, whatever the sin is, we've got the remedy. It's Jesus Christ who can completely deliver us from our sin. So church, we have three choices on holding the line concerning homosexuality. We can do one of three things. Number one, keep up with the times and embrace the social standards of love and marriage. Because if we don't, we're going to lose people. And so in order for the church to be strong, let's keep up with the times and whatever the society thinks is right for love and marriage and sex, we adopt it. Many churches are doing this. Okay, second solution. Reshape areas of the Bible to fit the concept of God's love for all. So let's kind of restructure what the Bible actually meant and let's kind of reshape it for what would help it fit to the culture we're in. You can't do that either, can you? The only option we have as disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to hold to the Word of God even if we are in the minority and even if we are persecuted for it. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's uh, have some discussion time then.